lovely, uh, lovely to hear all the chatter there. And uh, so one of the prayers this morning, so I was with a group of people who were praying this morning for all of you and praying that God would really bless this time as we gather together. And one of the prayers was that there would be a, a feeling of connection and community among us. That we're not just a, uh, you know, a person coming in here, sitting here and getting a lecture or whatever and then going out, but that actually God's Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and lives today and moving us in his direction, keeping us on his path and helping us that way. So um, anyway, that's what we're praying. God is here, right? He's here. So um, a couple of things, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look into God's word. Uh, One is that we have been uh, given seven summer students uh, the grants for seven summer students to work with Forest View over the summertime to help out with... This is good news, by the way. You could, you know, clap if you want. Um, this has to do with the summer camps that are provided here, with the youth program, and with uh, work that's done also down at Next Door and Rolling Horse. So this is really lovely that we're able to, you know, do this missional work here this summer and uh, have some help with that. The other thing I want to mention is that there is this book called Surprise the World. It's going to be on sale next week. And during the month of June, actually the last week of May and the month of June, we're going to be studying this book and speaking about it. Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. We're going to ask you to buy a book next week to start reading it. And then over the five weeks, we're going to be looking at the five habits because um, the leadership team and the teaching team has been talking about how we know that when our lives are touched by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we really want others to know Jesus. Would this be true? We really want to live in a way that's kind of surprising to the world. And we want to be missional in the way we live so that the love of Christ and the truth of Christ is going out into the world so that other people can know Jesus too. That's what this is all about. So over these five weeks then, we'll be asking you to be in a small group just for the five weeks' time. And uh, we'll be forming numbers of these. And we actually need some homes for this. So if you're interested in this, you can actually be in touch with Paul Miller uh, sometime during the week, give them a shout at the, at the church here or whatever. And so we need homes and hosts uh, and leaders to help lead these small groups. There are questions in the back of the book, and so we'll have some help there along the way. But the idea is that you'll be here on Sunday uh, to hear a message about each of these five habits, that you'll be reading the book, and then you'll get together during the week to have uh, some discussions about how it's going to look in our lives, and then we're actually going to do it. We're going to take steps of obedience to the Lord in reaching out in, in ways to connect with people um, and to uh, share the love and the truth of Jesus with them. So anyway, you are all invited to do this. Now you could say, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to be here all of June. How's that going to work? Don't worry about it. Go ahead and get the book and read it on your own and be here when you can and be in a small group when you can and let's put this stuff to work. And then we are praying and asking God to bring numbers of our friends who are not Christians yet to bring them 
to be interested in Christ and even to trust Jesus Christ with their life and begin to follow him. We're praying that God will show up in power to do this. You with me? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, well, I thank you for this group of brothers and sisters and for our time, times together. We're thankful for the time to worship you and to sing about you and all your goodness to us and your love toward us shown in Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for this um, book, this little tool, Surprise the World, and we pray that you'll help us, Lord, as we go through this study uh, in those five weeks, that you will open our hearts in new ways, and you'll open up the hearts of our friends, that there will be opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, and that some of our friends and neighbors will actually come to know Christ in a personal way. We... Thank you, Lord, for the summer students who will be coming on board to help with ministry this summer. We thank you for the provision of finances for that. We ask that you will bless them richly, fill them up with your Holy Spirit, and use them in mighty ways uh, to reach out. And Lord, I'd like to pray also for every one of us here. We look, we look really good. And we know that in every one of our hearts and lives and our families and our connections, there are things that are troubling and difficult and stressful and things that we're bringing to you in prayer. So I'd like to ask you now, in Jesus' powerful and wonderful name, that you will help us as we wrestle with certain things in our own lives, in our relationships, that you'll help us to be like Jesus in those relationships, to bring the love of Christ there, to bring the truth of Jesus into the midst, and Lord, that you will have your way, that you will grant us strength and courage to be your people in the world and to live for you in a way that's honoring to you. So lead us in all of this, we pray, Lord. I'd like to pray again for those who, because of suffering and loss and hardship and oppression, find it very hard to believe that there's a God who actually loves them and a Jesus Christ who has come to save them, redeem them. Lord, would you open hearts, we pray, and bring your eternal life. So guide us now as we look into your word. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today, we're continuing on with a series. We started this idea of broken and becoming before Easter, and now it's sort of like part two. We're on into the next stage after the resurrection, knowing that there is uh, a resurrection, a real resurrection. And the story that we're going to look at today is found in Luke um, chapter 24. And I'm going to read this to you. And um, I want to remind you again that the first skeptics of the resurrection were the disciples. They could not believe. Sometimes we think, oh, yeah, well, you know what? They were, even if Jesus didn't resurrect, they probably thought he did or whatever. People have all sorts of arguments about that. Please be reminded that the first skeptics of the resurrection were the disciples who'd been with Jesus for the three years, and then they had to see him. We told the story a couple of weeks ago of Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, because when he heard that Jesus risen, he said, like, I don't think so, brothers. 
unless I put my finger into the hole in his hands where the nail went through and my fist into the side where the spear went in, I will not, cannot believe. And of course, he saw Jesus, didn't he? And he believed. And he fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. So what we do today is we read the story of a couple of disciples who hadn't, this is on resurrection morning, but they're leaving town. They're out of Jerusalem and they don't know yet that Jesus has risen. So here's the story. Luke 24, starting verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going uh, to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So that would be about 11K. So if you ever run a 10K, you'd have to go a little farther than this. Uh, and it would take about between two and three hours to do that walk at three miles an hour, which is normal walking speed. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, and the word discussed in the Greek actually means heated argument. All right, so they're not just having a nice little pleasant. They're actually arguing about stuff that happened over the last week. So they talked and sort of argued these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is really an interesting thing. What is the resurrection body like, and what will your resurrection body be like when we're resurrected? I mean, I don't know. This is mystery. We've got something on the back wall about you know, being attentive to mystery. We don't know how it is. Like, Jesus went through walls, right? He just showed up in places. Well, pretty cool, eh? I don't know how it's going to be, but pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so Jesus comes up. They don't recognize him. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. Basically, they stopped dead. Their faces downcast. They looked really sad. And uh, one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, can you get the irony of this whole thing? <laughs> the last few days were all about Jesus. And he says, You're the only guy who doesn't know? What things, Jesus asked, <laughs> like he doesn't know. I find this funny. I don't, maybe I heard a couple. About, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now listen to the disappointment in this statement. But, but we had hoped that he was the one. This is what we really hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. High hopes crashed, smashed. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. Like he's dead. He's been in there three days. He's dead, dead, dead. Um, in addition, some of our women amazed, at, amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. They didn't see Jesus. So Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer? Didn't he really need to suffer? It was prophesied about him. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't that have been some lesson? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him to strongly stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. You know what? There's a lot of humor here. Why? He walks with them for three hours. He talks with them. He leaves them in suspense the whole time. And as soon as they see him, he's gone. (laughs) I don't understand this. But there he goes. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 other disciples and those with them assembled together who were saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. Then those two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What an interesting story. Um, My first point today is that it's so easy to question and doubt and not believe. Um, These two had been with Jesus for some time. They'd heard him preach. They'd heard him talk about his death and resurrection. And when the thing happens, they just can't figure it out. This is not working the way we thought it was going to. So they had questions. They had doubts. They had a very strong argument about this. And... um, So I have an opinion here. You can agree with me or not. But I think that one of our biggest stumbling blocks as Christians, and I think really this is true of our whole society, but particularly of Christians, is that we interpret questions about our faith and our belief as a sign of disrespect. Or or even more, that if people are questioning the faith or or asking difficult questions, that it's somehow an an offense or an attack against truth and against us even. But in reality, questioning is a gift. Um, Why? Because questions are what we use to discover more truth. If we didn't have inquisitive minds, how would we ever get to discover truth after all? So questioning leads to truth. And secondly, questioning is how we get to know other people, how we get to know someone, to really hear their heart. We ask them questions, we hear stuff, and so on. So truth and relationship. And in fact, our Christian faith is based on these two things, isn't it? Truth and relationship. It's the truth about Jesus Christ and our relationship with God through Jesus. So questions and curiosity are a gift. Questioning is not at odds with Christianity, but is at the very condition of the Christian faith because we are not content with the status quo and the way life comes at us in the world. Therefore, we resist that, we question that, and we look for more of the life of Jesus Christ to find him in his word and in our world, the resurrected living Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanted to start with that because at Forest View, 
we welcome questions. We welcome curiosity. And if you have questions and you're wondering about anything in the Christian faith, it doesn't mean you don't belong here. It means you do belong here. Come, investigate, search, because the truth of Jesus Christ is compelling. So, um, anyway, so this is a story of two disciples. They're walking along. They, when they're asked a question about what's happened, they stand still. Their really faces are downcast. They're looking sad. They have doubts. They have questions. They're finding it very difficult to believe at this point. Now, I want to ask the question, too. Why do we have doubts? Why do we have questions? Why do we sometimes find it difficult to believe? So I've got three reasons real fast. One is because resurrection is not natural. Resurrection is not scientific. Resurrection is just impossible unless there's a God who comes in and does this kind of thing. So... Um, that's kind of hard to believe, unless you really believe that there is a God. The second thing is, are the witnesses reliable? Um, we can have doubts and so on. Are these witnesses who spoke about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, are they really reliable witnesses? And it's fascinating to me that the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were women. And I think you'll know that in uh, the biblical times, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses in a court of law. Did you know that? I know this is sexist. I know it's demeaning to women. That is the way it was at that time. So is it not quite remarkable that God chooses to reveal the resurrection first to women? Why? because he's upsetting the status quo and the way things are. And Jesus, in his whole life, was lifting up women, was honoring women in the way he treated them, and so on. And I was just thinking about this week, because the whole of Jesus' life was upsetting the order of the way it was. Socially, um, ethnically, and uh, in terms of gender as well. Examples. When Jesus was born, the first birth announcement went out to, can you help me? The shepherds. The shepherds were the lowest of the low on the social scale, right? So God chose for the lowest socially to be the first people to say, oh, the Messiah has come. Jesus is here. Very interesting. He's turning things over. And the second group that this was, that the birth was um, announced to were the wise men who were actually high on the social scale but low on the ethnic scale because they were not Jews. They came from a far off land. And so now uh, when the resurrection happens, who gets the first word? It's women. So we find out later on that Jesus, as he's turning things over like this, that when people are in Christ, there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, that all ethnic divisions are erased. All socioeconomic divisions are erased. All the gender problems are, well, the gender differences are erased. We're still male and female, let we acknowledge this. But the fact that one should be higher or lower than the other, we're, we're all together 
in the family of God. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's like God is breaking down walls. He's breaking down barriers. A God without walls. Don't you think there should be a church somewhere called a church without walls that could do this same kind of thing that God did? I heard of one young guy who had read the thing outside, a child, and he came in here and he said, Dad, this church has walls. Look. (laughs) I just thought it was cute. Never mind. (laughs) Okay. So let us be people, too, who are breaking down barriers because this is the heart of of God uh, in every way. Are the witnesses reliable? Yes, they are. Why is it difficult to believe? Why is it easy to doubt and so on? Because often life is disappointing. When we go through times of sorrow and loss and struggle and so on, we wonder, where is God in all of this? And in life, things don't happen as we want them to happen or hope they happen or expect them to happen or even pray that they happen. But God is still there. So in this text then, there are three things that help us to believe, to have faith, and to grow. And there are three openings that are in the text. So uh, let's, let's, I think they're going to come up here right now. Uh, open our eyes to recognize Jesus and the one. So here's this text of scripture. It says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. The first opening was the opening of their eyes. During the whole story, Jesus was there. He was speaking the truth, but their eyes were not open to recognize him. They were walking and talking with him. And I think the same thing is true for many people in our world. Many people know the stories of Jesus, but their eyes are not opened to faith and belief to actually say, you know what? Jesus is the one. He's our rescuer sent from God. Um, So I want to ask you this morning this question. It's a very personal question. Have you acknowledged Jesus as the one? The one who comes from God, the one who is God in the flesh, the one who comes to forgive us all our sins, the one who comes to live within us a new kind of life and to give us a new kind of love for people in our world. Have you acknowledged Jesus? Have you, your eyes been opened to say, yes, he is the one, and I want to follow him and believe in him and follow him with every part of my life? And I would say, too, that there are many in our world who because of trauma and severe loss and suffering and so on, find it very hard to believe that God loves them and they need us to come alongside them to love them in the name of Jesus and to pray for them that God will open their eyes as we share the love and the truth of Jesus with them. So that's the first opening, the opening of our eyes to recognize Jesus as really the one who comes from God. The second opening in the text here is the opening to scriptures, and that comes up in verse 32. So it goes uh, like this, that after he broke the bread and so on, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Oh, and then he said, then they said, were not our eyes burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, Jesus opened the Old Testament scriptures to explain how everything pointed to him. He explained how 
probably there was a prophet who was to come who was greater than Moses. That's him. How there is a king who is greater than David. That's him. How there was someone coming who was going to proclaim freedom and the year of our Lord's favor. Not his judgment or condemnation, but his favor, his grace given out to all people. That's him, Jesus. But also there were prophecies that he came like a lamb to the slaughter, despised and rejected by men, familiar with suffering, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. So what is he, this big conquering king, or is he this conquered servant? And in fact, Jesus is pointing out to them that he's both, except he's not conquered. First came the suffering, and then followed by the glory. And um, the purpose of the Bible, then, as Jesus is going through here, is to explain who Jesus is and to help us follow him. And that's why, as a church at Forest View, we say that we are a community where people, somebody help me with this, do you know it yet? Where people meet Jesus and become more like him. I hope this will just be in your brain. We're a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. Maybe, you know, repetition is good, right? We're a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. This is who we are. Just like these two needed to find out, yeah, Jesus, he's the one. We want to follow him. And for us, um, God in the Bible, he never promises that life will be easy if we follow Jesus, but a regular opening of the Bible to us is essential in our personal life and in our corporate life. So if you say, where are we going at Forest View with respect to the Bible? Do you know where we're going? We're founded on the truth of the Bible. We believe the truth of the Bible. We're moving ahead in the truth that God reveals in the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God to refine the sons and daughters of God, that's us, so that we become more like Jesus, the Son of God, so that we carry out the mission of God, all to the glory of God. Scriptures play an extremely important role in all of this. And I want to say again, we don't worship the Bible. Okay, this is not the fourth person of the Trinity. I think I've said that before. But we love the Bible because it's the tool that God has given us to reveal himself to us. So just a quick story. It comes from Kenya when we were over there last year. And I'm going again in August, by the way, to do a training for pastors over there. Story came from the Kenya Bible Society. And uh, the story was that somebody from the Bible Society went to, into a prison, and there was a guy in his prison cell just whoo, smoking away. So the guy said, I'd like to give you a Bible, a New Testament. And the guy looked, can I see it for a second? So he gave it to him, and he checked the paper like this. And he said, okay, I'll take it. I can, ro I can roll my cigs in the, in the paper. And so the guy from the Bible Society said, okay, I'll give it to you if you'll read it before you roll it. <laughs> so the guy said, I will. So he read, and he smoked his way 
through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <laughs> and he came to John 3.16, and he's here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. He says, God, I need this. I need this. I can't smoke this anymore. So that's where his Bible starts at John 3.16. <laughs> but all the rest is still intact. I'm just saying, the power of the word of God. Are you with me in this? That the Holy Spirit uses this thing. It's his tool to refine us and to make us more like Jesus. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And Jesus is saying this. He's used the scriptures to help these disciples figure out, oh, you're the one. You're the one. Now, there's one last point, And that is that the, the last opening that's in this text here comes actually in the next little passage, but it comes in verse 45. So I just want to read the one verse to you, but maybe. Then he opened their minds. This is a little bit later he's talking with them. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is what we call illumination, that we open our Bibles and God opens our minds through his Holy Spirit to understand. And as he does this, he opens our minds to reframe our understanding of what reality really is. It's essential to notice that it's Jesus who opens up the minds of others. And he's given that role to the Holy Spirit now to help us understand he takes the matrix of stories through the Bible, through the Old Testament, and they all lead to Jesus Christ, the rescuer. All the laws of the Old Testament that people have tried to, to, to follow and fail and so on, Jesus shows that it's not about the law, that he's the one who fulfills the law, and now he, he offers to us forgiveness and grace instead of a keeping of the law. Isn't this marvelous? And so the grace is not just that we'll do whatever we please from, like from our old self, but that we'll, do, we'll find new delight and pleasure in following Jesus and doing what he wants. In other words, the opening of the Bible is not enough. It needs to be accompanied by the opening of our minds through the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to have the Bible and not have Jesus? See, we might get into a d debate on this, but that's exactly what the Pharisees had. They knew the Bible cold, and they used it as a club. They used it as a burden for other people because they didn't have Jesus. So we need this illumination of the Holy Spirit. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you open to the Holy Spirit? Are you seeking, hungry, for the Holy Spirit to open your mind to a bigger picture of who God is? Or are you fixed, closed, locked into a mindset which closes the door to a bigger understanding, a newer understanding, newer discoveries of our infinite God? Some of us know that we were raised in pretty closed systems of thinking and believing. And uh, we had some strange patterns of interpreting the Bible as we were growing up. Do you? Well, yeah, we did. We know this. And um, over the years as we've grown, we've gotten a bigger picture of God. 
and new ways of helping us understand the real nature of God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, I love that series. Great stuff to read to your kids and just really enjoy yourself. Aslan tells Lucy, every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. You'll find me bigger. Is this your experience? As we keep coming to the Lord and keep coming to the scriptures, finding Jesus bigger and bigger. And you know, a bigger picture of God allows us to pick up the broken and hurting pieces of our lives and reframe them in light of our wonderful, powerful, risen, living Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we don't go through difficulties. It means all those things are reframed in the light of Jesus going to the cross to forgive us, resurrecting to new power, and giving us his Holy Spirit to live. Where does the opening of our minds and eyes happen? Well, you notice for these two disciples, it happened when they came to the table. Jesus sat down with them. He broke the bread and he blessed it and he started to give it out. And then they said, oh, he's the one. He's the one. And we're moving just now to this table where we remember this is, this is not just an ancient custom that we have to do. This is where we remember that Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, is with us right now. We're coming to his table. And as the bread is broken, and as we take it, and as we drink this red liquid, we remember that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us so that we could experience his new life in us. And this is a miracle. So as the ushers come and serve this, I wonder if you'd just meditate on this. We're going to be singing a song in a moment. And if you would take the bread and take the cup and just hold it. Don't eat it or drink it. Yeah, come on, if you would, please. Then I'll come back up again in a moment, and we'll pray and thank the Lord for his presence with us as we take the bread and drink the cup.